This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. You are going to hear from... ESPN's Tim Kirchin today. Great to have him on the program. Bob Nightingale from the USA Today, David Schoenfield from ESPN, and Rod Freeman, the Pitching Ninja. We always like talking pitching with him and one of the great nicknames of all time. But we'll start today with a guy who's been covering baseball for a long, long time. One of the most trusted sources in all of the game. Here is Tim Kirchin. Tim, welcome back to A's Cast Live. We we really appreciate the time. Well, it's my pleasure. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing good. We've been hunkered down here in uh, Northern California for, for quite a while. And uh, kind of the good news about that is in Northern California, we're starting to flatten that curve because we've been on lockdown for so long. So it's been better news up here in Northern California. Well, good news there. Thank goodness. Everyone just stay safe. These are difficult, trying times. So I'm glad to hear you guys are doing okay. You know, I I, I hate to start the interview with this because it's sad news because he was such a special man and he was a a, a legend in our game. Mr. Tiger Al Kaline passed away today. I'm sure you knew him and you've had a lot of conversations with him. I, I had a great moment with him last year when the A's were in Detroit. It was just me and our engineer in our broadcast booth, and he came walking in and introduced himself. And, and he, I'm I'm Al Kaline. I'm like, of course you're Al. Everybody knows who you are. And uh, he had me go get baseballs, and he signed the baseballs for our community fund to give away and to help A's fans. And I just, he was such a gracious man with his time. And just just talk about Al Kaline because not only was he a great person, he's one of the greatest players of all time. Yes, and I knew him well. I wrote his obit for TV and his obit for ESPN.com. They'll both run any minute. Um, he's a great defensive right fielder. One, after Clemente, I guess you could probably make the case he's right there as far as the best defensive right fielders ever. He won two gold gloves. He had one of the greatest throwing arms I've ever seen. He got 3,000 hits. He played on championship teams. Uh, he had 399 homers without ever 30 in a season. That's the homers without a 30 homer season. But the most important thing was just the way he carried himself. I mean, it was always a rite of spring for me to go see him in Lakeland because he was always there. And the late great Sparky Anderson told me years ago, he said, every day I see Al Kaline, it's a better day. 
because you'll never meet another person better than Al Kaline. And all of that is true. So the game has suffered a terrible loss. What is so amazing is that in 1953, he came up at 18 years old. So basically, he graduates from high school, goes to prom, is barely in the minor leagues, and by 1953, he plays 30 games at 18 years old, and then the next year, he's a full-time big leaguer at 19 and plays all the way till he's almost 40. I mean, that's something that's almost unheard of to just leave high school. Next thing you know, you're in the big leagues. Right, and he won a batting title as a 20-year-old. Think about that for a second. And he once told me, and one reason he was so good is he was such a great athlete. And he told me once he was a better basketball player in high school than he was a baseball player. And he was going straight to pro ball from high school to show you how good a basketball player he was. And when you're that kind of athletic, you can make adjustments on the fly. Few people did it better than Al Kaline. He's the greatest player, uh, you know, who went through the public school or the school system in Baltimore ever. Babe Ruth went through a different system there, of course. But Al Kaline is the gold standard as far as baseball players coming out of Baltimore. And it was very appropriate that he got his 3,000th hit at Memorial Stadium in 1974 off of Dave McNally. Um, because that's where he grew up, Baltimore, and um, just a great, great man and a great, great player. Yeah, he'll be missed. What a what a Mr. Tiger. He he was special. So President Trump meets with all the commissioners of all the different sports. He wants sports, and the administration wants sports back as soon as possible when it is as safe as possible to help be a distraction for from all the bad news and i know when you when you when you lead a sport you never want to be the first guy that goes into the pool right so now looking at south korea as they're starting to practice they're soon going to play games how important is that for major league baseball to look at that so they may have a little more reassurance about starting up again whether i don't know if it's july august whatever that date would be well that's very important you would think i mean we've heard every rumor out there that if, if japan for instance comes along and and solves this crisis if that's the right term faster we might end up playing some games in Japan. I'll believe that when I see it. We've heard so many wild rumors out there. But, yes, as soon as sports are being played somewhere, team sports that involved some sort of contact, that has to bode well for everyone else to move forward. However, nobody is moving forward in this country until it is safe, and nobody should move forward until it's safe. And right now, it's just difficult to think about a scenario that they'll be playing even June or July with the trouble we're all in right now. So let's let's see how it goes in Korea. Let's see how it goes in other parts of the world. And baseball will return when baseball is supposed to return. And I'm pretty sure not a minute before that. So when baseball does return and it's a shortened season, 
it kind of brings some other teams back into the fold. I mean, you think of the favorites that we're going in, whether it's the Dodgers or the Yankees. Or, it just seems like in a shortened season. What do you think about that to where guys or teams that you thought really didn't have a shot may be able to sneak up on some of the better teams if you're only playing 100 or 80 games? Yeah, I, I think this really benefits uh, teams that aren't great right now. I mean, one of the great strengths of the Dodgers is their incredible depth and their strength at all these positions and all the pitching they have. They just wear you down at 162 games. You just can't beat them for that long of a stretch. Sparky Anderson used to always tell me, that's the reason we play 162 games because the season's so long. There are no excuses at the end. You end up where you belong in the end, always. But if you're only playing 100, or if you're playing 81 games, there's a chance a you know a team that's kind of a mild contender can really get hot for 50 games or 60 games, and then that can get them into the playoffs in a short season. Who knows? So I think this would indeed hurt these really great teams that just wear you down, uh, and it could help some smaller teams, smaller market teams also. And give me a couple teams that you think could be that underdog story. Well, I'm intrigued by the White Sox. I mean, they, they made a lot of moves in the offseason. They really upgraded that offense that they had to really upgrade that offense. And we'll see where it goes with young pitching, Michael Kopech and others coming back eventually. Uh, but that's a team that could really surprise the Reds. You know, a lot of people have them as the sheet pick to win the Central. Lisa did before the season got postponed. But the Reds did some really nice things in their offseason and at the end of last year to really upgrade their pitching. So I like what I saw from Cincinnati this spring. But, again, none of this, none of this matters until we know roughly – when we're going to play and what is the schedule going to look like? We just going to pick it up where we, you know, where July 4th says or whatever. I mean, I don't think anyone, I know no one has the answers to all this because the big question, when are we starting? Nobody knows. Yeah, that is true. And one suggestion that I've read and some people have thought about is if there was ever a time you want to experiment with the game, this would be the time if you were commissioner, which, and there are some things that you wanted to tweak and change, what would that be? Or would you say, no, nope, we're not trying anything new. Well, I'm 63 years old, so I'm not sure I'm the right guy you should be talking to about this <laughs> because I I'm kind of set in my ways. In other words, I don't think we should play seven inning games and I don't think we should have a home run derby to tie things or to settle things after 10 innings. I think we should play the way we've been playing for the last 150 years because we've done a pretty good job with that. Now, having said that, uh, doubleheaders don't bother me at all. I grew up watching doubleheaders. They were really cool. And I understand things have changed dramatically since the mid-60s. But this is a place you could go to get some more games in. And as long as protect the players because that's union is going to demand if you're going to play two double headers in a week well we're going to need more than 25 or 26 guys on the roster uh and to make sure nobody gets hurt because the union is very concerned about safety as it should be 
and they're not going. They're going to make sure that in this truncated season, no matter what they do with it, there's no way they're just going to rush these players back and then cram as many games into a short amount of time. But I think doubleheaders is something that can work. Uh, we'll see if that happens. How much have you been enjoying watching these classic games on MLB Network? Well, <laughs> I've been a little busy, frankly. I'm on this writing project that's taking all of my time these days. But to answer your question in general, um, I love old baseball games. I don't care if it's from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 2019s. I think it's a really good look into how baseball was played when you watch you know, when you watch the, the Oakland A's play in the 70s or the Big Red Machine or you watch the 86 World Series and th- see things, how they were done, and Oral Hershiser pitching in 1988. These are really interesting looks at how the catcher sets up and how the umpire calls a game and how quickly some things move and how things have changed so dramatically and how, you know, back in the 70s, people were pitching to contact they wanted you to swing at it and hitters were up there trying to make contact. And that's always been the thing that I've learned when I watch an old time game is how quick it moved. Sure. I told you guys in 1960 game seven of the world series, the Mazeroski game, there were no strikeouts in that game. And now we routinely have 20 strikeouts in postseason games all the time. That's the big change for me. Yeah, and I, I even see sluggers who choke up, and they choke up with two strikes, and they make contact. And you mentioned the 70s, and I think it's great for a lot of our fan base and other people in baseball. They really forget, and we bring on Ray Fossey every single Wednesday. They really forget how good the A's were. When you look at the team coming over from Kansas City, they were young, they had a ton of talent, and they finally got over the Orioles, and then you're beating the Big Red Machine, you're beating the Mets, you're beating the Dodgers. That 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 era of A's baseball was real special, and a lot of people forget or they just don't know how good those teams were. Well, I do, because those guys were right in my wheelhouse when I was growing up. Uh, I was in my teenage years at that time, and... You know, they had Reggie Jackson and some big stars on that team, but as corny as it sounds, it was it was the Dick Greens of the world on those teams that won games. Gene Tennis was a good player, but man, he had some great postseasons. And that's what and they also had great pitching all the time, whether it was Catfish or Vita Blue or Ken Holtzman and of course Raleigh Fingers. So they they did it the right way. They had uh the right people and a really good manager most of the time. So um yeah, you can learn a lot watching how the Oakland A's played, especially 72 through 74. Let, let's end on this, and this is something you'll never see again. Charlie Finley not only owned the team, but was running the team from Chicago. <laughs> That's something you'll never see again, Tim. Well, a lot of things Charlie Finley did we'll never see again. I just... I was looking, I'm, this writing project I'm doing is I'm just looking at this date in baseball history through my own little personal lens. And Charlie Finley, Vita Blues, uh, holdout just ended the, one of these days recently. <laughs> they held out, and he ended up getting $63,000. That was his season contract, $63,000. And he had to hold out to get that because Charlie Finley wouldn't give it to him. Charlie did some really 
good things and innovative things for the game. But running something from Chicago, nothing would surprise me with what Charlie Finley did. Well, we had Paul Hembikides on earlier, and he said, and he did some A's trivia with us, and he said, Buster only, not really good. Tim Kirchin, he says you are the man when it comes to his baseball trivia. <laughs> well, Hembo's really, really good. I'll, I always have to be on my game with him. Tim, we always appreciate it. I love reading you. Love seeing you on ESPN. Be safe, and we'll talk to you hopefully down the line when this thing gets started. Okay, you guys be safe also. See you. Tim Kirchner's one of the best. There's no question. Also one of the best is Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. I literally have been having this guy on my different shows over the years for well over 20 years. Uh, I absolutely love Bob Nightingale. The guy is uh, hes not only just a great writer, but he's really good people, too. And we always like talking to Bob Nightingale. We're now joined by Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. How you been, Bob? Yeah, doing well. How about yourself, Chris? Well, we, we were hoping to see you because I know you were going to be following the Astros when they came to town with the Bay Area, but unfortunately that, that hasn't happened. But I learned something today that I did not know, and I was telling the story about how I, you, you've been coming on my programs for years, and what we're doing right now is we're covering every single team, and we're going by division. So we started with the National League West. We're now in the NL Central. On Friday, we're going to be previewing the Cincinnati Reds. I didn't realize your son is a beat writer for the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, this is uh, second year there coming the Reds, and uh, yeah, he enjoys it. He uh, went to college and I, uh, over at Bradley University in Illinois and uh, went first job to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and now, yeah, went with the Reds last uh, year and a half. you got to be so proud. Yeah, it's cool. You know, talk a lot as far as the uh, dynamics of the writing and, you know, stories and, you know, what, what angles to take, that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It really is. And I got it, you know, once we get this thing going again, hopefully sooner than later, uh, he's covering a team that, you know, in a shortened season, Bob, I mean, really, it's kind of anyone's game. I, uh, 162 games really – shows people's weaknesses, but if you're in a season of a hundred, if you're in a season of an 80, I mean, there could be teams coming out of nowhere and the Reds have kind of been a chic pick going into the season. Yeah. Some people were picking them to, uh, to win it, you know, even before the uh, baseball shutdown. So, but you're right, Chris. I mean, you know, really outside the uh, pirates is anybody's division to, uh, uh, to win. Uh, wide open and they got the pitching so uh yeah we'll see if this thing starts up that that'll probably be one of the most uh you know fun races you know i i think about california and especially in northern california we've been on shutdown since you know a little bit before mid-march and our numbers are starting to get a lot better. Which, when we talk about flattening of a curve, and then after the flattening of the curve, you're on the downside of the curve. So California is, and we're the most populous state, obviously. That is good news. Um, you know, a lot of the projections have been off. They're not as bad as what we were told. But what are you hearing about Major League Baseball and the ability to get games going again? Well, you know, I think they're going to take the NBA approach. Where Adam Silver say, you know what, I'm not going to talk about this in April. 
let's wait till May and see what happens and go from there. So, you know, things keep improving, things like that. You know, maybe we can get baseball going in June or, or, or July, you know, where, uh, so I think just hopeful that this thing, you know, the curve flattens everything else. I don't, I don't think the Arizona thing is going to work, you know, having 30 teams in Phoenix, but you know, I, I think if they could just get everybody back to uh, baseball in June and then uh, everybody just plays in their home cities, uh, you know, it, it would be, it'd work out great. Why do you think the Phoenix approach wouldn't work? Well, you know, for one thing, they have 30 teams and everybody else, and they're talking about, a, about 100 personnel per team, 3,000 people. There's no way in the world 3,000 people are just going to go straight from the game back to a hotel room day after day. You know, they're, and then the, you know, you're interacting with the hotel staff, uh, the ball boys, the equipment managers. You know, too easy for someone to, uh, you know, catch the virus. And if that happens, you know, it spreads, you know, pretty big. And then, you know, a, a big panic attack. You know, also finances. Uh, I know the owners are saying, hey, we play with front, for no crowds here. You know, we'd want you to take about a 30% pay cut. You know, our players are saying, wait, if we go to Arizona, it should be like combat pay. You know, we should at least get what we're making. So, you know, I don't think they could even agree on, on the money part, let alone just on the logistics, you know, who's paying for all these hotel rooms, everything else. Uh, you know, and let's face it, I mean, a little bit of a smaller issue, but it's 110 degrees in Phoenix in the summertime. I live here. It, it can be brutal. You know, there could be a bunch of teams that's got to play at 1 o'clock in the heat. That's not good for anybody's health. No, I, I was I was looking, I was reading your article, and, and the part about the the piece that says that, you know, the players would have to take a pick, I, I don't see that being a way that it would actually logistically work out. And then you write about all the staff members and everyone being I, – I just don't – like, when did Major League Baseball come up with this idea of having, you know, maybe playing the season in, in Arizona? Well, you know, some agents started springing around, and they uh, went to MLB with it. The union, you know, talked to MLB, MLB talked to union. And so it was almost a, uh, an idea from a few agents. That's who came up with it. And they said, okay, let's, let's talk about it. But, you know, very, very early stages. Uh, you know, they've been begun negotiating things like that, families and all that. Uh, you know, it's a creative idea. I just think there's, you know, no way in the world everybody's going to live in some little bubble here. Yeah, and I think that the one thing, too, I don't know how you feel about this, but the idea of what's going on in South Korea and how they're kind of, you know, they're pushing back to the start of the season, but they might start in May. Do you think that Major League Baseball could kind of follow the model that's, that South Korea is doing? I know Japan kind of, they pushed theirs back a month, but South Korea has kind of been like the model of what they're doing with the fans and social distancing. Do you think there's any way Major League Baseball follows what South Korea has been doing and trying to do with bringing the, the game back as fast as they can? You know, I don't think so, just because the, uh, uh, you know, South Korea is small. was like the size of Indiana or something like that. I mean, you're talking about such a massive country and everything else. Uh, the trouble is everybody's, you know, gone home. So when people congregate, they're coming from almost all 50 states. They're coming from about, you know, 15, 20 different countries. Who knows what everybody's bringing in? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the more follow what happened to Japan. I think that what's going in Japan the fact they had a setback and now they're not starting until June, I think that's more for, for U.S. to follow than, than Korea. Now, with the, some of the stipulations for the season, with the, the, what happened in Arizona, the seven-inning doubleheader, the, you know, the seven-inning doubleheaders, 
the microphones for players are used to kind of like, you know, more access for fans, the social distancing. Is this something you think the players will get behind with, you know, all these changes with Arizona? Or do you think that there's still a lot more that it's going to take for everyone to get on board with potentially playing a full season down in Arizona? I'm not sure anybody's going to get on board with the seven inning thing. It's just, hey, you're, you know, baseball is built on, on records and history. Hey, some guy throws four or five no hitters because you're only going seven innings. You know, is that fair to be in the record books? Uh, things like that. I just, you don't want it to get too much of a gimmick. Uh, I could see the microphones working for a little while, but, you know, in the heat of competition, uh, it's going to be, you know, a little, little silly. Uh, you know, you don't want to be uh, a big play here and, you know, say something wrong and someone else is listening in, uh, you know, say, hey, by the way, he's looking for a fastball here. You know, because you know, guys can have that, those TVs right there in the dugout. And because there's no fan, you know, you're able, you can hear what's being said in dugout. So that might be a little far-fetched too. Now, the one thing too, like it's kind of been in the back burner on this. A lot of this is like what kind of baseball we're going to see when we come back, uh, when the season comes back. Do you think that there's going to be the same ball that we had last year where we had the record amount of home runs? We saw the Twins break the record with 307 home runs in Major League Baseball as a team. The Yankees hit a bunch. The A's were fifth in baseball. They hit a lot of home runs. Do you think we're still going to see what kind of, what kind of baseball do you think we're going to see in 2020 whenever the season resumes? Well, I think the ball will be dead in this year. I think it'd be more like the playoffs, more of a true baseball. Uh, I don't think that, you know, people uh, will turn off about all the home runs and, you know, everybody's hitting, you know, 30, 40, 50 home runs, setting career highs. So I, I, I think we'll get back to a, more of a normal baseball and, and, and go that way. I think that was uh, what was designed anyway. So even in spring training, it, it seemed like the balls weren't flying like that, like they were, uh, you know, all last season. Now, one thing Chris has been asking people, and I'm, we're still trying to get, I, I think he's having an internet issue at his house because we're, with the social distancing and everything, we're doing it from two different locations here. So we're, we're trying to get him back. But one thing he's been asking people, and I've been liking the, the idea, the question is, we're seeing a lot of these old-time games being, you know, aired on MLB Network. ESPN's been doing a good job. We've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter. Is there anything from these old-time games you've seen, these classic games that you kind of miss in Major League Baseball right now? Yeah, I mean, they, uh, some of the classic games I've, I've watched, you know, I watched the, uh, the Ripken, uh, you know, post-game interview and the, uh, you know, the 23-minute standing ovation uh, there night. Uh, on opening day, I watched the David Freeze game, uh, you know, with the dramatic, you know, home run to win the game six of 2011. Uh, watched, you know, the Diamondbacks game-winning hit. You know, a few innings of those. So some of those actually, you know, fun to watch and things you forgot or, or missed. I mean, I was at that David Freeze game. I don't remember Daniel Descalso having that huge at bat and kind of setting up the whole game winner. So, you know, I think for some of these uh, uh, young fans that are, that are staying home, it's like, you know, they, they can kind of tune in and know a little bit about some baseball history. It's like, hey, I, well, I don't know who Al Kaline was. You know, not, not now I do. Yeah, that's sad with the passing of Al Kaline the other day at the age of 85. And you're right. I remember because, you know, I'm 31 years old, but I remember watching the David Freeze game against the Rangers. Like, that World Series was so great. The back and forth, you know, the, the, the game, it, was, it was game six, right, where Freeze had the incredible game against the Rangers. Yep. I just remember that entire World Series, how great it was because, you know, you had Texas – Never made it to the World Series and back-to-back World Series. You know, they lose to the Giants in 2010, and, and then they come back the next year, and they have a talented team, but David Fries and everyone's carrying them. That was one of the one of the best games I've watched, and I'm with you 100%. And I think we have Chris back uh, now, finally. So 
Let's uh, see Bob, if he's there. This, this, this millennial technology sometimes just doesn't work. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I mean, it was weird. It's like all of a sudden, like, you guys went away. And I'm like, what's going on? I've got... and, and, and you know what's amazing is you think, like, what's going on? How do I fix it? And all you do is you restart your computer and things work again. And it's just crazy how that works. Yeah, yeah. Something like your cell phone. Just restart it and yeah, back to back to magic. <laughs> so I, I, the last I heard, we were talking about, I was asking you, and I, I'm sorry to have to repeat this, but I was asking you why you think Phoenix wouldn't work. Yeah, just there's so many problems with Phoenix. I mean, one is, you know, having – about a hundred uh, people coming in personal from each team. So you're talking about 3000 people and are you really going to rely on 3000 people to go only back and forth from the hotel room uh, to the ballpark without going out, without, you know, seeing their family or a date, something like that. Uh, you know, who's going to monitor the people that are handling their food or the, the clubhouse kids, the uh, clubhouse attendants, uh, bat boys, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and hey, what you know? What happens if a player gives a uh, you know comes down with it? He not only affects uh, you know a lot of his teammates, but you know it could affect some innocent bystanders. So you're opening opening can to a whole lot of lawsuits as well, you know, against Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, another problem too is I know they talked about well, hopefully by then you can get instant testing and and uh, quick results. Well, it'd be pretty hard for the you know the public to stand by and say, wait, we can't get tested, but you can, we got to wait a week for results, but you, but you can get it done. You know, Dave Stewart had to wait eight days to get his results back. So, uh, you know, I, I think then it's like, you know, a lot of people say, wait a minute now, just cause there's baseball players and baseball owners have money. They get special treatment, you know, and, you know, and plus the weather, Hey, you, you know, it's 15, it'd be uh, 15 games a day. There's going to be some teams playing in uh, 110 degree heat in mid afternoon. That's not real good for your health either. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Uh, you, you, you know, Bob, it, 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 in the world we live in, and you're a journalist, so I'm sure you're watching a lot of news. And I think the one thing that people are getting right, we don't know May, we don't know June, we don't know July. Things are happening so fast. There's really no one that can give you any real answers. No, you're right, Chris. I mean, nobody can say, hey, we're, uh, no, no, we'll be playing by this, uh, this date. Or here's our drop. You know, there's a date where if we don't start up, we're not playing at all. I think just that they're, everything's in, in motion here. I know baseball even has some plan where you start up in September do some kind of round robin type of tournament, almost like a March Madness for baseball, you know, called the October November Madness. So I think they're thinking some creative ideas. Where even then you can say, you know, I'm not saying you would call it a World Series champion, just call it, you know, the champion of 2020, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I do think they're going to really try to push this back, not until Christmas, but uh, certainly right up to uh, Thanksgiving weekend. You know, one of the things that's been a lot of fun is watching these retro games on MLB Network, and they, they're airing a ton of them. And, and one in particular, well, they did two. They did Game 4 and Game 5 of the World Series in 1984. 
between the Detroit Tigers and the San Diego Padres. And I grew up in San Diego, so I remember being 12 years old watching that and bringing back great memories. And you really forget how good the 1984 Detroit Tigers were. They were absolutely stacked, and it's now great to have Alan Trammell and Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame. You know, Lou Whitaker, you forget how good he was. I mean, Lou, you're, you're, you're literally talking about the best shortstop second base combination in the history of baseball. Yeah, people forget how great that team was. And, uh, you know, I was mentioning to, to Cody earlier is that the, the, the fun thing about all showing some of these classic games is, you know, uh, the problem now is a lot of these uh, uh, young fans don't know the history of the game. Even young players don't know. Uh, so, you know, even young players can sit back and watch the same games as you and I don't even know who Al Kaline was. You know, now they know. Now they know how great that, you know, double play combination was with, with Trammell and Whitaker. Uh, I agree. And that Tigers team, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the Yankees, uh, you know, the 98 Yankees and, of course, 27 Yankees. People forget that 84 Tigers team went, you know, wire to wire. And they started off that season going uh, 35 and 5. I mean, that's crazy to start out 35 and 35. And you mentioned Mr. Tiger, Al Kaline. Uh, when, when you, I got to meet him actually last year when I was with the A's in Detroit, and he was so gracious. I've been telling the story about he, he came into our booth and, and introduced himself, and you think like a legend introducing himself, and then told me that if you go get a bunch of baseballs, I'll sign them for your community fund. I mean, just a special person. Talk about just Al Kaline's career and just what a great man he was and what he meant to the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan. Yeah, just a wonderful guy. Reminds a lot of Harmon Killerbrook, who passed away a few years ago, the great uh, twin great. And I always tell this story. I said the greatest plane ride of my life was I went from uh, Phoenix to Cooperstown, uh, you know, I don't know, it was 10 years ago, eight years ago. And uh, we were sitting next to each other on the flight. About halfway, uh, about a half hour in, I think I ordered a Bloody Mary. He goes, good idea. So we're just drinking and, and listen, telling stories. You know, I'm listening for the talking, obviously. And, uh, you know, it was just such a delightful thing. And it's like, you know, at the end, you know, you wouldn't even know that he hit a home run at Little League, you know, let alone hit, you know, 500-some home runs in, in the big leagues. Same way with Al Kaline. You know, every time I went to Tiger Stadium and, you know, the Tigers were good not that long ago. So I was at a lot of Tiger games. And he was always in that clubhouse, just walking around, saying hello to people. Uh, you know, he acted like he was a clubhouse attendant there, you know, rather than, you know, Mr. Tiger himself. Uh, and, and you're right, Chris. I mean, just so gracious with his time. And, uh, you know, you had no idea that this guy's a Hall of Fame uh, ball player. Uh, but, yeah, and he went, to, he went to just about every single home game. He was there a ton. Uh, you know, sitting there in the uh, – in the suite with, uh, you know, Dave Dombrowski or Al Avila and, uh, and, and watching games. Uh, yeah, delightful, delightful, man. Bob, we always appreciate the time. Be safe, and we're going to reach out. I got, I mean, I've, I've had you on for so many years. We got to have Bob Nightingale Jr. on to talk a little Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, no, Bob, you enjoy that. And, uh, yeah, he's sitting home in Cincinnati trying to <laughs> – Trying the same thing as everybody else. Just trying to get up some of red stories or team stories just for somebody to read. And say, say uh, obviously, you know, the young writers like that have never gone through a work stoppage or strikes and that sort of thing. 
So even though this is new, pandemic's new to us, certainly work stoppages and lack of play and the 9-11 and everything else is is the uh, things we have gone through where you try to fill some airtime or fill some space in the paper. Hey, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, look forward to it. Thank you, Chris. And from Bob Nightingale to another great columnist, and he comes up with so many good ideas on ESPN.com. Here is David Schoenfield. You know, we always appreciate you coming on here on A's Cast Live, and, of course, Cody and I loved your one-hit wonders I, that had to be a lot of fun to do that list. Well, uh, yeah, I have a lot of time to dig into these research projects right now, uh, unfortunately, but the research is kind of fun, you know, digging into uh, baseball history. So, yeah, I appreciate the kind words. It was, it was fun to do. Yeah, and, and, you know, Mitchell Page, going back, I mean, because some of these guys, for my audience, a lot of these people don't remember baseball back in the 70s or even the the 50s, 60s. So, Mitchell Page, your one-hit wonder for the athletics. Yeah, so you know, 1977 was the first year I followed baseball. I grew up in Seattle, so that was also the expansion year for the Mariners. So, I definitely remembered Mitchell Page. As soon as I said, I'm going to do this project, I kind of knew that was going to be my A's guy. Um, you know, what a year. He was a rookie, hit 307, 21 homers, 75 ribbies, stole a bunch of bases, 6.1 war. I mean, he should have won rookie of the year. Eddie Murray won it, I believe, um, but it should have gone to Mitchell Page. And then, um, you know, he had some personal issues, you know, after that, the rest of his career, um, never lived up to that season. But yeah, what a rookie year it was for Mitchell Page. Which was your favorite one that you did for all 30 teams? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I need to scroll through here real quick. You know, my favorite part was kind of digging up some of the stories. Like, you remember Ron Kittle. He was Rookie of the Year with the White Sox in in 83. But his background, I had forgotten about this, was he was originally drafted by the Dodgers, um, broke his neck soon after being drafted, um, you know, like a cracked vertebrae, and um, didn't hit. The Dodgers released him. He thought his career was over. Um, finally, about a year later, the a doctor found out he had this cracked vertebrae and he had surgery, but he was told he would never play sports again. Went back just playing, you know, like in a semi-pro league, and a White Sox scout found him. <laughs> you know, playing amateur baseball. And a few years later, he was in the majors and winning Rookie of the Year. So that's one of my favorites, you know, uh, those unusual stories like a Ron Kittle. You know, two of the guys on the list, you know, you think about their careers as not players. You have for the Padres, Cito Gaston, who, you know, won two World Series as the manager of the Blue Jays. And then also Dick Dietz, who I got to interview a few times, a long career in the front office for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I mean, Cito was, was a classic one-year wonder. I think that was, what, 1970, early years with the Padres, made the all-star team. He stuck around eight or nine, ten years as a player, but only had one good year, and it was a total fluke year, one of the great fluke years as well. Um, yeah, Dick Dietz, you, you know more than about, about him than I do. <laughs> I mean – Really, if you look at his stats in 2020, we'd be raving about this guy. He had power. He drew a ton of walks, um, so he had a high on-base percentage. 
But uh, from my research, he was kind of blackballed from the game. He was a player rep. The players went on strike in 72. The Giants, they didn't want him, so they kind of traded him to the Dodgers, and he was kind of a backup there for a couple years. But um, he had, you know, a couple really good years for the Giants. You know, there's some rumors circulating right now, and I saw this on NBC Sports. I guess there's this radio guy out of Chicago claiming that he's talked to some baseball executives that we could be looking at a hundred game season starting July 1st, which gives obviously April and May to figure this thing out. And hopefully we're on the downside of the curve of the coronavirus. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I haven't, you know, been in touch with any MLB officials. Look, we don't know at this point because we don't know, you know, where we're at, honestly, in the midst of this virus. I think July is probably, I would say, optimistic. Not overly optimistic, but I think that's like the the realistic, you know, time frame. You know, it's not a best-case scenario. Certainly it's not the worst-case scenario, which is no season at all. I think that date becomes more realistic if we consider that maybe games are played in empty stadiums, you know, depending on where we're at with everything. Um, Cause they want that TV money. So if you get games on TV, you can start up earlier. And, and we've talked about this here on A's cast live about, you know, baseball is our national pastime. Obviously it's been passed by football, but I do see in a safe environment. And I'm always going to say, we got to make sure everybody's going to be safe. But if we talk about baseball being back on television when everybody's sitting at home and, you know, here in Northern California, we've been on lockdown for a while. What this would do for the sport once again, because I think there's a lot of people out there who may not be baseball fans, but just to see live sports (laughs) once again would be so big for them. And I think would really put baseball back into that category of our national pastime. So I want it to be safe. But wouldn't you agree getting baseball back on television, Dave, what, what that would mean for our country? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And we're biased, right? I get it. We love baseball. But I think we have also learned more than ever that that day-to-day thing is what makes baseball so great. Even if it's just on in the background as we're cooking dinner or playing with the kids or the dog, um, it's always there. Once that season starts, it's a part of our lives for, for six months, more so than any other sport, because it is every day in nature. But yeah, I think your point is terrific that maybe you do even bring in some non-regular or non-diehard fans who are desperate for something to do besides, you know, watching Netflix again. So yeah, um, Again, you got to balance that with doing the right thing. So that's sort of the, the concern that baseball has to face. Yeah, my joke is I can only watch Frozen 2 and play Monopoly so many times <laughs> before my, with my kids. Before I'm like, I know, I hear you, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, these, these classic games, by the way, ha- have saved a lot of us. I mean, it's been a lot of fun, you know, going back and whether it was – you know, my favorite player of all time, George Brett. I recently saw that on MLB.com when he dominated the Blue Jays in 1985 or the, the Bucky Dent game. And then there was that crazy game between the, the Phillies and the, the Cubs. It was a 23-22. Right. It's been yep. a lot of fun watching these old games. And it just makes me think about changes in the game 
if you're ever going to do changes, this would kind of be the year if you want to like kind of, I don't know, try something out. If you could try something out in this season for you, what would it be? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I saw Justin Turner of the Dodgers. What did he just suggest? That let's decide extra inning games with, with a home run derby, kind of akin to the shootout in hockey. I actually, and he said just for this year, I think that's kind of a fun idea. Um, I, I know it's against everything the traditionalists stand for, but, you know, it's all about fun. You know, hey, if you can't win a game in nine innings, you know, okay, then it, why not make it a little bit of a crapshoot? Um, but one idea I like is trying something different in the playoffs. And I know they've already, you know, at the start of the year, they've thrown out some, you know, proposals for a new playoff format. But maybe this year, how about eight teams make the playoffs in each league, and you run each league like a college World Series double elimination bracket, you know, so you have a winner in each league, and then you play a traditional best-of-seven World Series. But maybe that's a way to kind of, you know, have a little twist and turn in the postseason. Well, two things on that. First, yep. My 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 producer Cody came up with that idea a while back, and we were like thinking about the the home run derby type thing to finish an extra innings game. And like, if you threw out on Twitter, so let's take the A's and the Angels. If you threw out on Twitter that Mike Trout and Matt Chapman are going to go one on one in home run, you know how many people would get on MLB.com and 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 go to watch Matt Chapman against Mike. And I'm just obviously selfishly using us, but you can put uh, you know any great players and put them in there. But Mike Trout against Matt Chapman, you trying to tell me people wouldn't tune in for that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, there's no doubt from an entertainment factor. I mean, it's a no-brainer, and I know, you know, I work at ESPN. We televise the home run derby every summer, and I know that's not for everybody, but the kids absolutely love it. Um, so I get it, you know, it's it, it hurts teams that aren't built around power, you know, but, hey, again, this whole year is already going to be different. Why not try it the rest of the season once we kick off? doesn't mean you have to keep it for 2021. Do it. See how people feel about it. Yeah, and then the second part of that is we've seen it with the World Baseball Classic. If you're going to play games later in the year, you can do neutral sites. The weather's going to be good in L.A. and Anaheim. So you got Dodger Stadium. You, you got Angel Stadium. Obviously, the weather will be good in San Diego at Petco Park. Traditionally, our weather is good up here in Northern California in the fall for Oakland and San Francisco. Then we now have two roofs in Texas as you have the retractable roof there in Houston, and you'll have the same thing now with the ballpark in Arlington. So there will be places to play if you want to extend stuff into November when you start talking about postseason. We see it with college football. We see it with the Super Bowl. I just think people are going to be starving for entertainment at that point. That Do you think neutral sites could work? Yeah. I mean, that's, Scott Boris has been – trying to get this <laughs> proposal for years, you know, where you can plan it ahead of time and have all the parties like you do, you know, during Super Bowl week. 
Um, I have mixed opinions. I would worry that yeah, you're playing a World Series game in, in Houston and there's 10,000 people because it's, you know, the Twins and the Cubs or something like that. But then again, I think maybe the home fans would travel to the neutral site. Again, this year, travel, you know, who knows, right? But um, again, maybe it's worth trying, you know? Um what do you have to lose? I get it. If you're if you're the Cleveland Indians, you're in, you're back in the World Series, and you haven't won since 1948. You want those games at home, but a World Series game in Cleveland in the middle of November, you know, there could be two feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> that's not going to work, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That is not going to be good. And, and one question that I think is on a lot of people's minds is the Houston Astros and we I have a feeling the Houston Astros they're going to be they're going to be handled a little bit differently now because whenever we have these type of tragedies go on we all want to kind of bond together and we're a little bit softer but I'm wondering on the suspensions of Jeffrey Luno and AJ Hinch you can already I'm already seeing it now in our neck of the woods people are like wait a minute you're telling me if we don't play baseball their suspensions We'll just be done after the end of this year if there's no year. Baseball is going to have to really look into this because if there isn't a whole lot of baseball and these guys really don't get the punishment, that's not going to be a good look. Do you think the commissioner is going to look back into this? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. You know, the, I, I'm with you. The public pressure is going to be um, they didn't serve, they didn't serve enough of that punishment, um, depending on when we get back in action here. Um, I don't know if there's legal matters in here. The thing is, those guys are not represented by a union, you know, like, like the players are, you know, a, a, a similar situation with players would be, you know, fought by the union hinge Lunau, They don't have that. Um, so the commissioner, I would guess would have the prerogative to uh, add another year or another six months or whatever. Um, but again, I don't know. We all want to get the games back, you know, and I think the commissioner, he wants this Houston thing to go away. He doesn't want to string it out. So I don't know. If I had to guess, I think they'll be eligible to be hired again in 2021. All right, let's end on this. You're yep. sitting at home and you're thinking of things to do for ESPN.com, which does a great job covering our game of baseball. As we talk about your articles all the time, what's the next thing for you? What's the next <laughs> what's the, What are you thinking about covering next? Well, you know, I, I, you hate to make everything sort of historical in nature, but I'm working on another big project. This is my most hyped prospect for every team um, in franchise history, which skews more towards the last 20 years. You know, uh, we pay a lot more attention to prospects now than, than we used to. Um, so this, again, it's more telling some of the interesting stories. Some of these guys are big names, obviously, Bryce Harper, Ken Griffey Jr., but there's some other guys that, when you look back, were very hyped and didn't pan out for, for whatever reason. So, uh so that's for next week. And I'm already like 5,000 words into it, and I'm not done. So my, my editors are not going to like it when I file this piece. <laughs> well, I, I, I can tell you this. For about two years doing the postgame show, all I heard was Chris Carter and Michael Choice. 
And A's <laughs> fans clamoring for these guys. Michael Choice, Chris Carter, you got to bring him up. These guys are going to be the greatest guys ever. So it, it leads me to what I always say. You're a suspect until you come to the big leagues. You want to call him a prospect. I call him a suspect until you come to the big leagues and prove you can play at this level. Well, that's the thing about baseball. You know, you can be the number one pick or, you know, my A's guy for this list. You'll remember Todd Van Poppel, who wasn't the first pick in the draft only because of his bonus demands, but he quickly became the number one prospect in baseball for for a year or two and he made the majors and he ended up sticking around a while but obviously never lived up to the hype and as you know baseball is hard there are no guarantees for every griffey or a rod or harper there's other number one prospects that that you know fell well short of all-star status or hall of fame status it's it's hard but that's the fun you never know you got to prove yourself on the field you know, I'll never forget, I think it was Sports Illustrated had that article about Todd Van Pobble. He's undefeated. He can't be beat in high school. He's the greatest pitcher of all time. He's the next Nolan Ryan. Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, especially pitchers, a lot of the guys get hurt, like a Mark Pryor, um, Van Poppel. I don't think that was the case with him. I just don't think he ever, you know, um, you know, lived up, up to what he was in high school. That's what happened. Some Some players... You know, they're throwing 98, 99, 100 when they're 18 or 19, and then they lose the fastball, and they're never the same. Um, Some obviously do get hurt. But that's the fun because sometimes they do turn into A-Rod or Griffey. Well, I got to tell you, we truly appreciate you coming on. I think for for what you're doing at ESPN.com and what we're doing here with A's Cast Live is we're just trying to be a distraction from all the, the tough news that's going on there. So keep doing your great work. We'll keep reading you. We'll keep promoting everything you're doing. And thank you for the time. And be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right. You too. Keep talking baseball. Well, we go from three writers to a guy that really is reinventing pitching. He does a great job on Twitter breaking down pitchers, and there's a lot of pitchers that come to him, and they ask for his help. One of the best nicknames in the game, the Pitching Ninja, Rob Friedman. Rob, thanks for coming on A's Cast Live again. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Hey, you know, I've always wanted to ask you, when did you come up with the name Pitching Ninja? Because anytime, like, we think ninja, <laughs> people love it. Like, when, where where did you come up with that? Uh, dude, I mean, I, it was probably like uh, six years ago, maybe. But it's mostly because um, my, actually, I think my son's nickname started out as a ninja because he's half Japanese. My wife is is Japanese, and we decided, and I decided, you know what? He didn't like it, so I kind of liked it. And as a coach, I get the choice. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's definitely catchy, and I, I, we, we've we've been talking about it on the show. And obviously they have a lot of your stuff in there on MLB right now. When we're talking about the, you know, the, the, the best fastball, the best curveball, the best change up, the best slider. I mean, this is something you've been doing a long time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, uh, actually, I just noticed that they were using it the other day. I was looking for uh, change ups and saw my own stuff. So I thought that was, that was cool. It's always cool to see your own stuff out there. No, it's great promotion for you, and and I and, and for we just had Jared Diamond on from Wall Street Journal, and he's got a new book out, and he was talking about you know hitting today is so tough because you're facing a lot of different pitchers, everybody's bringing nasty stuff at you, everybody's coming out of the bullpen, 
super high velocity. What have you seen in the change working with pitchers and watching just watching pitching evolve into such velocity? Oh, it's it's absolutely ridiculous now. And by the way, I just started Jared's book, and it's it's fantastic. It's about all the people that, um, as I was going up through the coaching ranks, was following. So it was kind of fun to see his his view on it, his take on it. He's he's kind of dead on. But the stuff now, I don't know how anybody hits it. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from videos is not only I'm trying to educate pitchers. Um, and help them get better, trying to educate fans. But I'm also trying to educate hitting, basically fans that go to stadiums and, and how hard it is to hit. Because it's like a tiny miracle anytime anybody gets a hit these days. Uh, and, you know, fans, I think, when they see the stuff that I do, end up saying, wow, I'm not going to yell at any hitters anymore. Like, why did you swing at that? Uh, they see that it's kind of impossible. And I'm just wondering, is is it just the evolution of a hitter that from the time you're in Little League all the way through high school into college or into pro ball that you just adjust as an athlete, they're throwing harder, but to you that's the norm. You've been seeing it your entire life. Because I think back in the day, like when Nolan Ryan was pumping gas, everybody was like, oh, my God. But now everybody throws right. it. Is it just the hitters have evolved and they're just used to it? Um, a lot of it is that um, hitters have definitely evolved. They see it, I mean, because there's such a premium on, on velocity. But it's also just general stuff. I mean, you see the stuff, and it's not just the speed of it. It's the ball's moving, um, and it's not the ball's fault. It's, it's the evolution of pitching and the use of technology to improve pitchers and approve spin axis, spin rates, um, and to judge pitchers by more than just velocity. So it's a combination of things, but it certainly makes the hitters have to make decisions later. But hitters are also trained better, too. I mean, you know, they get to – there's video, there's, uh, there's things that simulate pitches coming in. They're bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, there's a, it's a combination of things, but it's like a – I mean, it's an arms race between hitters and pitchers, and it's crazy. I mean, the talent out there is, is phenomenal. I'm wondering with all the research you do, because we know some pitchers, they were like, this ball's different. It's not the same. It doesn't move the same. And it affected some guys last year, and it seemed to affect guys especially who have the nasty two-seamer or that they can throw it really hard, but they get a lot of, a lot of movement down. I think of the guy we had, uh, Blake Trinan. He didn't want to. He didn't want to admit it to us, but we. He he knew the ball was different. Could you tell by what you do with your technology that the baseball was different in 2019? You know, I can tell from the results. Uh, it's it's hard to tell specifically because you're talking about maybe you know an inch or two of movement. So it's it's you know, some pitches seem flatter, but there's some folks that were that were just plain nasty too. So, you know, I I can't say for sure. I can say for sure talking to pitchers though. I mean, pitchers definitely noticed it, and uh, you know there there was a, a a big difference and a big difference in the effect of the ball off the bat too. So when you play with seam height, you're you know it it, it affects every little part of the game from the aerodynamics of the ball. Um, from the pitching standpoint as well as the hitting standpoint. And we can talk about how guys thought the ball was different in the playoffs. And then, you know, I know they call anecdotal evidence in spring training, 
But these these guys, this is what they do for a living. They know the equipment. They talked about this spring training that the ball was maybe de-juiced that they were using down in Arizona and Florida. Yep, I've heard the same thing. You know, they just need to standardize it. We shouldn't even be having this conversation because it should be somewhat standard. Obviously, there's there's whenever you have man-made stuff, there's going to be variations, right? I mean, you get a couch, leather couch, someone sews it. There's every once in a while it seems different. But there can be better quality control that it doesn't vary from year to year, that it doesn't change. You know, in, in a lot of other sports, it doesn't really matter. In baseball, records are kind of, you know, sacrosanct, and it, it passes down through the years, and you want the game to be somewhat the same. And for us to be having discussions about the baseball means that baseball isn't doing its job. They've got to be consistent and not have fans discussing the ball, but have fans discussing the performance on the field. And uh, I think they're, they're finally figuring out that I don't, I don't know that they did it on purpose or not. It doesn't sound like it. Um, it sounds like it was just quality control. People got better, actually, at their jobs and, and, and had the seams. They, I've, I've heard this from people in Costa Rica, that they had people that were better at their jobs, that, that they, they sewed it tighter, because as you get more experience, you're better at it. And it just happened that that year was better. It sounded reasonably plausible, but you should be able to measure that stuff. It's just like the golf ball. You know, all of a sudden, ball pro V's are, are flying further than ever before because they were making right. the golf ball better. It's just a reality. I want to go through the process, though. What is it like for you when a, a big leaguer or someone, uh, you know, a minor leaguer, professional getting paid, how does it work? Do they call you up? How do they get involved with you? Take us through that process. You know, basically, so most of the stuff that I'm doing is, you know, I, I do it off game feeds. I'll, I'll have some players uh, DM me or text me with, with content if they want to get stuff out there, friends with a few uh, major league players that, you know, like to give insights to fans about what they're doing, maybe give bullpens behind the scenes. So definitely have that aspect of it. Um, I have fans that, I mean, I, I read all my notifications, so I'm constantly watching what's out there. Uh, I'm always taking feedback from anybody. I mean, if somebody sees something cool, I will get on it or look for, you know, constantly look for stuff too. But a lot of times, yeah, I mean, players will, generally it's a, it's a text or a DM they'll, they'll give me and say, hey, what do you think about this? And maybe ask me some questions about their, their pitches, ask me for other pitchers' pitch grips so that they can see what, what guys that they like are doing. Um, yeah, it's a variety of things, and it's kind of fun. You know, we, we asked you to look at some of the A's pitchers. Which pitcher really stands out to you, or what, what pitch of a pitcher? What really stands out when you, when you review the A's staff? Um, I would say, I mean, the Jesus Lizard is probably my favorite A's pitcher. I think he's going to be a, I mean, he's just going to be a stud for years and years. Uh, overpowering stuff and kind of off the charts in terms of movement. Both his slider and his his, uh, his two seamer are are just filthy. Um, I guess he calls some kind of calls a slider a hard curveball, whatever it is, it's nasty. Um, so he, I'm a big fan of of his stuff in in general. Um, I, I mean, Puck is going to be fantastic as well. I uh, think you guys are set up for a long term, long time uh, with with really, really nasty pitchers. You know, when I think about our, our young guys that you mentioned, 
you know, AJ Puck and Jesus Lazardo, and, and, and I think about this for all young guys in the game, is if we are going to have a shortened season, I don't think we need to have these inning limits. I don't think we need, you know, we're, we're so used to babying these young guys. Do you get the sense if we have a shorter season that you can just tell these young guys, let her rip and let's go? You know, I think this is going to be really interesting, and this is where actually the, the training staff, strength and conditioning folks make their living as well as the pitching coaches. Everybody's got to be in tune and making sure that, um, I think I heard Garrett Cole uh, use the analogy, but say the, the pilot light stays on during this, this downtime, that you're ready to go as soon as, the, you, know, as, as, soon as you get the all-clear sign. Um, because if you, if you ramp up too soon, that's where injuries happen. I mean, just think about you, if you're sitting on the couch and then you decide to sprint, you're probably going to get hurt. So a lot of injuries happen in spring training for that reason, and players have got to just make sure they're maintaining uh, well as well as they can during this, during this downtime. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a sprint. It's, and, and, I mean, I don't know that inning limits are going to come into play if you're, if you're, if you're not playing – you know, more than, what, 100 games or something, uh, 60 games, whatever it comes down to be, it's a sprint. And, uh, yeah, I think that, that they're going to be having to be ready to go. And it's going to be fun. I mean, I think it'll be fun no matter how long the season is. I'm just ready for some baseball. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, Billy Bean, uh, in an interview I did with him one time, said that if you could prevent Tommy John surgery, if you could figure that out, you'd be a billionaire. So you work with all these guys, you work with pitchers, you went, what, what do you think the answer is to that, to figure out how to keep guys from so many guys getting Tommy John surgery? See, if I told you that I'm not going to be a billionaire, <laughs> so I got to keep it to myself. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's going to be a combination of things. I don't think there's any one answer because the human body's different and it varies on, from pitcher to pitcher. Some guys mechanics could be putting extra strain on their arm but i think most of all it i mean it's it's likely a combination of conditioning um making sure that we don't ramp up too soon as far as like uh you know having a pitcher throw gas right away i think there's there's ways i mean it's just like you, again you're trying to run a sprint without ever having to do it you're more likely to get hurt anytime you redline something things might break but the key is to make it, it is to work a combination of strength and conditioning work, uh, long toss, weighted balls actually have a place in that, um, but not overdoing it too, because we're all pushing for performance. We're pushing for max effort, uh, max performance on every pitch. Not like in the old days where you used to be able to, you know, kind of ramp up. Nobody, you know, you strikeouts were fascist. You didn't go for strikeouts. You tried to get them to put the ball in play. Um, I think now strikeouts are at a premium because ball in play can be ball out out of play real quick over the fence, and you've got to be going for strikeouts. So everybody's you know kind of pushing their body to the limit. So it's a combination of preparing really really well and uh, and staying in shape. Um, you see people like Max Scherzer actually throws year round. Trevor Bauer throws year round. I think there's we started the baby pitchers a lot and thinking that less was better, but then when they, it was time to perform, they weren't ready for that workload. So there's, there's a fine line, and I think it's going to be a combination of using the, today's technology, uh, motion capture type stuff to look at mechanics, uh, 
things like the modus sleeve, the look at the load on the arm. There's going to be a whole bunch of different things. Um, I don't think there's going to be one silver bullet. Hey, we always appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on and, and keep entertaining us on Twitter because we all need uh, as much baseball as we possibly can get. Be safe and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Well, that will do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Tim Kirchin, Bob Nightingale, David Schoenfield, and Rob Friedman. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.